we're doing the damn thing. You have, well, you will now if you don't already. That you'll want that. All right. How? All right. Welcome. Um, I'm trying to remember how to make the screen share full screen, but I don't remember how. So I guess I'll just mute and start the music. We have a little theme song we play and then we just kind of introduce ourselves and start rolling. Um, so yeah. Welcome. I did not mean to do that. I'm having difficulties today. There we go. Welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob. That other guy is also Rob. And we will be your hosts and comrades this evening. Uh, Rob, since I, I think this is the first time you've come on the show, right? Yeah, no, I've been in the comment sections. That's about as far as I've gotten. Fair enough. If you want to, like, introduce yourself at all, you're welcome to do that. Well, where should I start? Um, but, yeah, no, I'm other Rob, Rob Rich. Um, One of I, the many Robs. Yeah, there's a lot of Robs going around. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I am a, a former member of the Green Party. I think that's where um, I think me and uh, Rob were – I think we kind of got into the same circles in there. Um, I uh, am now a member of the White Panther Party and uh, the Minister of Justice. So uh, I think um, uh, uh, something I always like to make clear that a lot of my activism started when I was in prison. And that's more along the lines of human rights, this basic, basic rights of, uh, you know, um, inmates. So one of those situations where you get forced to stand up for yourselves when you really have no other choice. So it kind of brought me uh, to a stage of where I started, where I was like anti-establishment and then later starting to, uh, de to develop a, a level of class consciousness and which, you know, never stops developing. So it's, uh, it's always emotions as our conditions are always changing. So 
I'm always learning and open to learning. Try to stay up with the current uh, affairs and which what you're going to talk about today. You're probably going to teach me a lot more than what I need to be on top of right now. But it's good discussion for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's been uh, oh hey Zulu's here, and here once he connects, here is our other uh, co-host for the evening, Chairman Zulu of the New African Black Panther Party. Welcome. His audio is connecting. All power to the people. All power to the people. All power. Oh, I'm at work, so I have to move around a little bit. Right on. We get in where we fit in. Word. How are you? Uh, I, I don't think you really need to introduce yourself, but if, uh, if there's some people watching who haven't... Uh, uh been here when you're on if you want to give a little um introduction you're more than welcome to okay excellent yeah let me see i can put that i could get right here I, I dig the uh, the outfit, Shaka. It's very proletarian. I, I dig exactly. the, uh, the outfit. Part of the working class. Amen to that. Um, all right, I guess we can start uh, diving into some of the things that I wanted to talk about tonight. We have fascists attacking infrastructure in North Carolina. I've also read that it uh, has been happening in the Pacific Northwest um, as well. I, I didn't really, um, I knew about the thing in North Carolina. I already had links for that. I didn't actually look up um, the Pacific Northwest thing. So if anybody knows anything about what's going on out there, go ahead and uh, say so in the comments. But um, I mean, I guess that's, probably the best place to start yeah. um give me just one second here i wasn't prepared for this there we go um so basically this happened well it was earlier this week right there was uh two power substations in north carolina that were attacked uh presumably by fascist groups um, to prevent a drag show from happening. Um, and it, it knocked out power to like 40,000 people. Um, they were damaged by gunfire. They literally just drove through the gate and started shooting at fucking power transformers. Um, and there's still, as of this morning, I should clarify, there was still about 10,000 people without power. Um, which, of course, losing power, you lose other critical infrastructure as well, like um, wastewater pumps, for example. 
Um, and, you know, they, as I said, they literally drove through the gates and started shooting at these transformers, these, these power uh, substations. Um, the sheriff says he's working with the FBI and the State Bureau of Investigation uh, to carry out the investigation. And Governor Roy Cooper has offered resources along with local congressional offices. So here's, here's where the masses are being punished for the actions of a few. There is a curfew that started on Sunday night at 9 p.m. lasting until um, I think it was 6 a.m. Um, schools were closed on Monday and uh, the sheriff provided increased security at the substations and around local businesses in the area, which I think just goes to show that the police don't solve crime, police don't prevent crime, um, police protect business interests, police protect private property rights. Um, but these are the kind of attacks that we really need to, you know, pay attention to and take seriously. Um, there, there's a book, right? Um, where this is this is the the main means of uh, far right organizing is is attacking critical infrastructure, um, which I guess can you know bring up the next conversation of either nationalizing the grid or building our own, um, you know, power supply lines, whatever. Um, but the point is, we need to like pay real attention to these kind of things. They were completely willing to knock out power to 40,000 people to stop a drag show, right? And also pay attention to the language that these people are using. Um, you know, like, like the LGBTQ community is grooming children, but ironically enough, the ones who say that are the ones who are, you know, taking their kids to church every Sunday or... Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I got something to, to add in real quick. Yeah. That's first, um, I think you touched on a very valid point. And their playbook right there has also just been, um, re they've revealed their hand, so to speak. But when you said that we need to have some type of alternative um, power, that is like 100% correct. Because... These fascist type people, these people who don't care about anything other than um, their private property, their ideas, they have, um, I would say, an uh, alternative themselves. They, a lot of these people who live are, are trying to build off the land, off the grid, off these things so they can withstand. And they're always talking about uh, some type of civil conflict. And these are the ones who you see are marching down the streets with their big guns and all these different things. They don't care about their about the people. Someone died when that happened in North Carolina, from what I heard. Um, yeah, it was uh, a case of necessary medical equipment not working due to lack of power. Right. So they don't take things in the, into consideration because they're more conflicted with with um, a drag show being put on. They don't care about human life. That that does that comes. Uh, way down the line. so like something like this really heightens 
the conflicts in which we see and it's given us a glimpse into the future and the things that they're going to be trying to do. They're going to be trying to take down these power grids. And uh, more left-leaning people who live in the cities rely on these power grids. So that's something that we have to really take into consideration when we start, we're talking about building alternative ways to survival, because if we just put it in, you know, the hands of whoever to decide, you know, or the powers that be, by the time we figure these things out and how to respond when it's going to be too late. So that's kind of what I want to add in on that. Yeah, no, uh, I definitely want to chime in and say, I think that First of all, I have no real problem with people examining the enemy's infrastructure and finding ways to weaken it uh, uh, if it afflicts, afflicts the people in a deleterious way. In this case, we're dealing with racists that are urging on a civil war. And the, the attacks that just happened in North Carolina is not an aberration. It's not a one-off. It's been happening a lot. Uh, you may It might not be a power grid. It may be a hydroelectric dam, or it may be running up in a car dealership. They're doing a lot of Civil War type work because in their minds, they're preparing to take the country back. For us, for revolutionaries and progressives and people that's concerned, the most important task we have is to unite the left, uh, bring in the middle and isolate the right. At this stage of the game, we have to broaden our tent so folks know anytime the Patriot Front or the KKK or any other kind of racist type militant organization move against the people, we have a multi-racial uh, 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 power in place that could push back on that. And let me say this finally, that it's unfortunate that anytime you attack any technological structure that's set up today in, a, in the 21st century, you're going to have casualties of war. You're going to have people that uh, uh, is innocent and don't deserve what has taken place. In this situation right here, these power grids, the enemy know that they're open, they're susceptible to being attacked. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not being facetious when I say, I think they knew the attack was coming and they let it happen so they can ramp up their uh, 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 repressive agencies uh, to move against not those forces simply, but against left-wing forces as well. You know, so the bottom line is we're moving into a different stage of struggle. And uh, Donald Trump has allowed this kind of nasty uh, militant reactionary organizing to take place. What we need to do is to prepare our forces, uh, prepare the ground, uh, so that way when our brothers and sisters are attacked, we have a position infrastructure that can receive them and take care of them. But this is a war, you know, and this is a positional war. And they're playing the game for keeps. 
the left wing have to look at that and say, well, maybe we need to begin to organize ourselves in a way that uh, shows the world we're willing to defend, our, defend ourselves as well. So that's my position on it. All power to the people. I'd kind of like to piggyback off that a little bit to say that uh, you, you said that you believe that the cops knew the attack was coming. I would tend to agree with that. Um, state forces historically have always backed, uh, you know, fascist forces when capitalism comes under threat. And I mean, look at the world around us and tell me that capitalism is not in crisis right now. All power to the people. Um, I did have some questions, you know, kind of typed out, um, like what led to these attacks? I think we kind of, uh, touched on that a little bit, but like, you know, specifically, I think what led to these attacks is, um, hateful rhetoric from right-wing talking heads that's been going on for years. Um, you know, they're still platformed in, in large or uh, in mass on, fucking fox news um and i i think the the right-wing fascist leaning ideologies ultimately are what led to the to these attacks um these people are afraid of anything that they don't understand and well they don't understand left-wing politics they don't understand how a guy could you know like another guy in that sense or why somebody who they perceive as male doesn't see themselves that way. They just don't understand it, therefore they fear it. Then they other that group, and now that group is a target. <clears throat> Which brings me to my next question. Who do these attacks help? Uh, I think they help them. Because the bottom line is uh, they want to spread that hateful ideology. They want recruits. They want resources. And so ultimately, they want propaganda out there. Like Mao Zedong said, create public opinion and seize power. Obviously, they, they may not be thinking that deep, but the tactics they're utilizing is to enhance uh, the image of their organization or their movement. And it certainly don't help a poor folk. It certainly don't help Jews. It certainly don't help LGBTQ, who are the vast majority of the people in society. So the question is, who does it help? It helps them because their ideology is to create confusion, chaos, unleash war all over the world, you know, in order to seize where they can pockets of territory to perpetuate their white supremacist philosophy and practice. That's my perspective. I think it helps solely them only. Yeah, I want to tap into something too, and this is speaking of like the importance of the White Panther Party and being able to examine the white communities and on a lot of this because when you you see a lot of what's in their minds, and a lot of it is because a lot of them are uneducated and need to be re-educated, but also they tap into that fear. They they fear monger, right? They want to teach you that um, that. They want to make your kids gay. They want to, uh, the people uh, from Mexico are coming to take your jobs. This xenophobia, all these different things, they tap into this fear. And they look they look at the wrong people as the enemies because it's capitalism that is, that is teaching this uh, illusion and co uh, constantly uh, causing us to fight each other and stuff like that. And in the white communities, it is, 
you could literally walk into one of the poorest uh, trailer parks that just got a, a factory shut down and they're going to blame uh, some outside entity besides the, the capitalists that, that made those decisions and or the powers that be. And that's something that, you know, we have to do our part in re-educating a lot of these people because a lot of it is fear. And most of the time, fear is based off of what you don't know. So they don't even know. So they're just reacting. That's why they're reactionaries. Yeah. Yeah, totally agreed. So who ultimately is hurt by these attacks? And I mean, I, I gave my answer, which basically is the masses, right? Anyone who is not, you know, one of these like fascist minded, like hardcore preppers is ultimately being hurt by this. As, as you pointed out, uh, there has been at least one reported case of somebody passing away because their medically necessary life-saving devices had no power. I forget exactly what the device was, but point being, um, people, at least one person has literally lost their life over this. Um, and then finally, how do we keep people safe from harmful ideologies like fascism? You can't, you can't do that. Uh, that uh, even if I'm right here, I'm right here. Oh, on this phone, right here? On a walkie-talkie? I'm right here in a meeting. I'm in a meeting. I'm in a meeting. I'm actually in a radio meet, uh, on the radio right now. Yeah, I'm right here. All you have to do is come upstairs. I don't, I don't do this. I apologize. I, I apologize. Matter of fact, comments, let me get to work. Um, I apologize and... Um, because uh, look, they, they here saying that I need to start some work. So I apologize. Let me uh, catch you next time, okay, comrades? Yeah, yeah, no problem. All right, uh, let me go ahead and knock this job out right quick. Yeah, all, right, all power to the people. All right. All power. Um, I do want to elaborate on what, he, what, what uh, Shaka was just saying, though. Ultimately, we can't keep people safe from these harmful ideologies. We need to organize our own communities, um, like community defense networks is the only way that we're gonna come close to something resembling safety um, from fascists. And I mean, like, obviously I, I'm not entirely familiar with what the conditions are like where you're at, um, but like here in New England, I mean, we've got NSC 131, we've got the Proud Boys, um, you know, like there are definitely a lot of fascist minded groups, uh, operating on the ground here and we need to be a better alternative to that. Um, like, like Shaka said earlier, you know, like bring the people from the middle in and isolate the right. And, um, it seems like there's been a lot of conversations on the on the local level, at least here, about how to, uh, you know, counter that. But ultimately, I, I think that the only way to counter it is to, you know, organize against that, be be the opposite of these people, which most of us already are. Right. I mean, it's not like we're the ones that are making these contradictions uh, antagonistic. We're not the ones that are attacking critical infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, for or sure. storming the Capitol building or calling for the Constitution to be repealed. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. I wanted to say something about what you said earlier, then I'm going to tap right back into that. You said something about like who's being harmed for that. Also, who benefits from things, like, you know, something in which Donald Trump says, follow the money, right? Follow the money. I hate to quote that bastard, but it, you know what I mean? So it's like, I want to use that quote, follow them. Who's benefiting off these things? Um, but uh, on the on the subject and what you're talking about, like with, with fascism, these ideologies, and then you, you look at it at the core, a lot of this stuff starts with our children, starts with information, starts with little small things like PTA meetings. You see where um, a lot of these proud boys and these different groups are heading. The, what they'll go, they'll go and stand outside of schools. We're protesting uh, critical race theory, even though it's like it's really just makes these things that they're making up in their head, but they want to make their presence. So some kids might look at that and be like, "Oh, look, these are bad guys." But there's a lot of kids may say like, "Oh, look at these." You know, I don't have a role model. Look at these; these are grown men out here. I'm gonna look up to them, and then they fall down that pipeline. You know, there's the music and all these other aspects of it. And that's why um, I never fall into what people call class reductionism, right? Because there's a lot of these ideas that strengthen this, this structure in which we have right now, right? And we have to do our due diligence in uh, not only re-educating, but uh, pushing away some of these old ideas that are causing these things to continually to resurface. Um, so sometimes, you know, showing up at those PTA meetings, uh, you know, may get real hostile and turn antagonistic, but it's our duty to do these things if you can. Also setting up alternative circles of, of um, education, because let's be honest, our education systems are not set up in the favor of our class. So if it's something like a public library where you could have people, parents and their kids come, where you could start teaching alternative uh, ideas and real education, then then do it if you can. And a lot of times these public libraries are free access to their offices and things like that. So that's something to really consider. And things like Zoom, you know, if you can. Yeah. <clears throat> um, do you have anything else to add on this topic or should we just move on to the next one? Don't me personally, you know, I could talk forever. <laughs> it's true it's true you should see them in meetings everybody's like you know got their fucking finger on the leave button and this motherfucker's like wait 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 hey you know it's cool too a lot of people who might be watching this that are friends with me on facebook you know maybe this is giving a glimpse of you know some of really am in real life <laughs> oh man all right, I guess it's, uh, I think it's safe to move on to the next topic, which I, I was talking about New England, um, you know, just 30 seconds ago or so. Uh, the state of Rhode Island, more specifically, Democratic Governor Dan McKee, um, issued an order today, this morning, um, to evict a pretty sizable homeless encampment that's literally on the Capitol uh, Statehouse's lawn, um, which I think is an effective place for a homeless encampment. It's a very clear statement of, hey, you are failing to meet our needs. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, I, and basically it comes down to like liberals clutching their pearls and being like, oh, well, I don't want to look at this. 
without ever acknowledging that their system is the reason that these people are living in squalor on literally the lawn of the state house. Um, and I, I wanted to point out that Dan McKee is a Democrat because he literally just won re-election by a pretty sizable margin. Um, Rhode Island is a very democratic controlled state, has been for a long time. Uh, most of New England is. But like, you know, it's not, well, I guess I guess it could be said that it is kind of a liberal's paradise, but that kind of makes it hell for the rest of us. <laughs> um, anyway, the point is, is, I wanted to make it very clear that the Democratic Party is no friend of the working class. Um, the residents that are living in this encampment don't even know where they're being moved to. They just got a laminated piece of paper that said that, they will be um, moved um, Friday morning. I, I believe it was at 9 a.m. It was 48 hours after the thing was posted, which was in the morning. I believe it was like 9 a.m. Um, they will store people's belongings for up to 30 days if they're in labeled boxes. And then if they somehow find permanent housing in that 30 days, they have to call a phone number to regain their belongings. I don't know how many people, whether it's you or the viewers or listeners, I don't know how many people have any sort of experience with homelessness. Most homeless people don't have a working phone to call that number to get their belongings back. Um, stragglers or people who don't get on the bus are probably going to be arrested. Um, and then, of course, you know, like there's a whole bunch of issues and arbitrary rules to follow living in a shelter. You know, you can't leave till eight in the morning. You have to be back by 4 p.m. Um, you know, they don't arrange any sort of like uh, job seeking services usually. Um, you know, there's a complete lack of, hello, <laughs> sorry. There's a complete lack of um, privacy or, you know, like accountability when something um, when something happens in these shelters, nine times out of 10, it's not like they're going to report it to the police. It also said that the location that they're going to be moved to will be monitored for safety. Any guesses what that means? I'm assuming it means some sort of militarized police presence. Um, Do you have uh, any? Well, and I also want to elaborate that this is not a Rhode Island specific issue. This is every major city in America. Right. Anyway, yeah. is there any, is there anything that you have to say about this? You know, you know, I always got something to say, I would, for the most part. Um, yeah, um, I think that's something that um, everyone has to look at and examine is that the system in which we are under, we uh, commodity human beings where we give worth to people based off of uh how they could uh contribute and, and sell their labor you know and how people can make money off them and things like that so like when somebody is disabled they're they have less value or if somebody has um a mental illness or somebody that at a point you know they had race and all different type of aspects of this uh stratus that that was created that gives people more worth in this system which is needs to be eradicated because uh human beings deserve a right 
to have a, a shelter, have a home, have a place to uh, take showers and things like that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we always got to keep in mind. And um, just having a shelter or being shipped somewhere else doesn't do anything to the root causes of this. Um, so if you see this in Rhode Island and then you see other aspects of this in California and wherever else you think, and, and, it's, and it's based off this system in which you can't get a house unless you make X amount of money um, and things of that nature. So like, I, there's another thing I wanted to bring up was, was, which was like a few months back. I, you might've uh, talked on, on this before, but like there's things like in, in Kansas where they had laws where they're gonna prevent people from having more than a certain amount of roommates. So it's like, no matter what you do and try to prevent these things are from living off on the street, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And you think about back in the day where um, when um, uh, so-called slavery ended and they started making laws, if you didn't have a job or a place to live, they'll send you to prison and now you got to work for them. And a lot of times, speaking from someone who is in prison, some people get locked up on purpose just to have food, clothing and shelter. And that is a sad story and a sad structure in which we are under. And we understand we have the biggest prison in the world. Um, but this, this homeless issue is like root, like if you root it in capitalism and we have to really take an examine of, of why there's so many homeless people here. Why are we the so-called richest uh, place on, on the planet but we have so many people living on the streets. So it was like five to 600,000 people. Like that is a, something is wrong here. And if you can't see that, then you're really self-centered and very individualistic. Um, so, and especially, and you think about, we've got, we've got over 400,000 churches. We've got over millions of vacant houses and homes. We got abandoned buildings, got abandoned towns that have been, uh, just left because they're no longer see it as, you know, uh, something that they could make money off of or whatever. Um, so this is something that, you know, is yes, it's universal. And you don't see this in countries who put their people first. Yeah. Um, Trisha in the comments said that's fucked up to try to limit the number of roommates. I've heard of this happening in more than one place. I don't know how many places that it actively succeeded in. Um, but yeah, uh, she went on to say they know people are having to massively cohabitate just to survive with the cost of living skyrocketing. Um, she also said, um, I got to scroll back up, sorry. It costs less money to give people actual housing than to crim criminalize homelessness and funnel funds into charity shelters where the funds get swindled. And these shelters are also places that are higher risk than the street for women and children being assaulted, um, which is something that I, I failed to touch on, but that's one of the issues with living in shelters. And when things like that happen, it's often not reported to the police. Or if it is, they're just like, oh, well, you know, it's a homeless shelter. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I got to plug something in here, too, because this recently was it a week or two ago. One of the comrades that stay out in Painesville, Ohio, um, they were having uh, an issue because what happens is that shelter that they have, 
um, they kick everybody out at a certain time in the morning. Usually it's like six, somewhere like early in the morning. And then what happens is they have to go fend for themselves in the streets, right? And if it is uh, freezing cold, amongst other issues that you may be having because there was a video made on it there was um uh little babies there was uh, a, a man that had uh he, he was had cancer uh there was a person that was uh, uh wheelchair all these different things and imagine being pushed out in this freezing cold so um what they do is they try to go to the local library or the local um, um the local uh, jail or the sheriff's building and they go in there because then they have public restrooms and things of that nature and they could try to keep warm they could use their wi-fi or something to try to get contact with somebody if they can if they have a phone um but a lot of these places they don't um open until nine so you got to do a couple hours out in the cold at that point you know you're you're frozen and then they were they started kicking them out like you can't be here and there's a law where it says or no, they have a regulation that's posted in there that they weren't even holding to themselves that if it was below a certain temperature, you could not push them out into the cold. Uh, but they at that at that day, they weren't even holding to that. But it's even messed up to having to have to go through this. Why do these people have to be moved around like cattle? Just like what you're talking about in Rhode Island. This is inhumane. And that's what kind of society is, is an inhumane society and to call ourselves civilized at the same time? is a contradiction. Yeah. Um, if you are in New England, if you're in driving distance of Providence, I think that more people should show up Friday morning, keep track of, you know, where these people are being moved, uh, make sure that they're safe, document what's happening, because they don't even know where they're going. And they're gonna be separated from their belongings, which is a whole issue in and of itself. Um, they have to call a phone number to get their shit back, which is a problem in and of itself. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about homeless shelters. The point is, though, is that there's something that we can do about it, right? Um, we were talking about the Poor People's Army earlier today, right? Like, they're not fucking around. They've been, they've been seizing property and housing homeless people for, what, the better part of a decade. Like... Um, they're obviously very dedicated. They're very experienced at this, but the, the, the point at the end of the day is that they hold workshops. They teach anybody who wants to learn how to do exactly what they're doing. Um, and I think that that's something that regardless of our geographical location that we all need to be doing. Housing is a serious issue right now. Um, well, I mean, it always is, but you know, like I've never seen homelessness on a mass scale like I'm seeing right now, besides like dystopian movies or uh, the Star Trek episode where they go back to 2024. <laughs> like, hey, weird how that's lining up. But anyway, um, the point is, though, is that we need to actively do something about this. Like you said, we can't just keep moving them around like it's cattle or like their cattle. Sorry. Um, we can't just keep um, allowing the state to get away with this, whether it's Rhode Island or Texas or California, it's the same shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, and this is where I think where when you talked about the poor people's army, people check out their website is really good. I know that, um, in the Philly area, they, um, 
seized and took over about 50 or so abandoned properties and made them livable. Um, and they teach classes on that as well. They're they're a part of the Rainbow Second Rainbow Coalition. So uh, please check them out. Um, they are very good people, and they are they don't mess around. Um, something to, to to really take consider into consideration is when we say you know all power to the people. Like what do we mean by that, right? And it's one thing where one person who may be homeless could go sit and squat on a uh, one of these abandoned buildings and try to take them over. But there's other things to take in consideration that requires uh, a lot of uh, social uh, power. So if you're in that house, it's all right, but you could take over like out in Gary, for example, there's a lot of abandoned houses out there, but they're uninhabitable. Like it's unsafe to live in these houses. And that's one of these legal requirements that some of these, uh, these laws that allow you to take over abandoned places are. So being able to organize, find comrades, people that, I mean, they might not even have to be ideologically uh, in line with everything that you say, but somebody that will get down and help you. Because imagine if you have, an abandoned house that's just sitting there and you're all alone trying to fix that up by yourself, that could take forever, take a lot of money. But if you have uh, a community that's all on deck, we could change a whole block with, with the, the people who you may know, who knows how to fix um, electricity, plumbing, roofs, these things, this can make a huge difference. And all it needs to be is tapped into and organized. So that is huge and that is very important. Yeah, agreed. James said in the comments, they do that here too. And everyone in the area gets pissed off because of them loitering in front of their businesses. And I replied, I hate how much people punch down. Imagine being a paycheck or two from the exact same situation and judging others. Like, seriously, I don't know a single person who's not a couple of paychecks away from being homeless themselves. I got so one of these things that you'll say I see what a lot of these uh, businesses, right, is that they're so patriotic. They're, they are so um, for, you know, those who served in the military, they give discounts, you get a parking lot up front or a parking spot up front, all these different things. But a lot of these people that are homeless or suffering from some type of mental illness that are out on the street are those who once served. And that's something that's really taken consideration. And I call, I call those people out on a daily. Um, but, you know, when you see a lot of these, and I hope it's not coming from a small business owner, because a lot of these small business owners are more likely to have lose everything, go bankrupt and these things, and they can be out on the street. Um, so that's, irregardless, it's still a human right to be able to have to do these things. But if you were in, a, let's just say, let's just take that avenue for a second, right? And if you were a business owner, right, and ne down the street from you, there's this abandoned house that's in there, wouldn't you rather them go in there and take over it and fix it up to make it livable opposed to the uh, uh, house that's falling apart. I think that makes more sense. Or what happened to the property value of, you know, property value of these abandoned buildings being in this area? You know, I think that uh, regardless of how you look at it, it's a benefit on, on a lot of different spectrums. Yeah. Completely agreed. Um, now that we're I guess quiet for a second. Um, Austin, I, I think that uh, a, a decent chunk of the the people watching probably remember Austin. He used to be on the show, fucking all the time. He's another 
Well, I don't know if you're still involved at the Green Party, but I know that that's how that's how we met. No, not too much. Uh, I like I, the Tupac shirt. Thank you. And I'm pretty sure I know uh, the other Rob in here. I don't know, though. I, are you on TikTok? I, I am on TikTok. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've talked uh, more than once on TikTok. Oh, yeah. yeah. From Acer's Live and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, you're the truck driver. Yeah, you go plug it in, Midwestern Mayoist. <laughs> yep. I knew it was you when I saw you. I just wanted to say what's up. But uh, no, I'm not with the Green Party anymore. Uh, I, I basically, when I run, I'm going to run uh, no affiliation, you know, independent. So, but I've been looking at the Unicorn Party but I'm not sure about them yet. You know, I still have to do more stuff, more research, but we'll see. Fair enough. But it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been MIA for a little bit on TikTok based off of just had a newborn, other stuff. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I, I fractured my elbow, all types of stuff. It's been, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> Thank you, though. How'd you find uh, For We Are Many? Oh, well, um, I, in the beginning, I kind of gave an introduction. Um, oh, that I'm sorry, that we got, um, I think, more affiliated on, like, I would say, left social media, just like how we kind of uh, got associated. But also, um, we organized with a lot of the same people. We were part of the Green Party. Uh, I was actually a YES member, a dues-paying member for a while, the Young Eco-Socialist, um, things of that nature. So we kind of bumped heads initially. It's a small world, isn't it? <laughs> it most is. There's a lot of us out here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hey, what is Rob Strong's name on Facebook? <laughs> Rob Strong, I think. That's what I thought. I must not be friends with him on this uh, page. Um. Natalie said in the comments that her son just lost his job and it's in LA dollar sign dollar sign California. I'm worried. I don't blame you. Um, rents in LA have been, you know, way high for a very long time. Yeah, skyrocketing. Um, James said our city, he's in West Virginia, by the way, he said our city knocks down buildings to keep them, uh, to keep at, at them as in homeless people. Our city knocks down buildings to keep homeless people out of them because they catch them on fire trying to stay warm, etc. Any excuse that they can use to criminalize poverty. <clears throat> and, and in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Um... There's all types of different conflicts that come in. I mean, obviously, some of the social and uh, other issues that come out of it um, aren't rooted in like, our own individual shortcomings. Um, but if there's an issue with, um, you know, abandoned buildings, like what is the most beneficial way of going about it? You know, um, if there's, if there's the fact that there's issue. All the other after effects of it is just a, a response to that. So if, if um, for example, I know there was a big issue um, in 
Detroit where uh, abandoned buildings, they would say that were being used for um, sexual harassment and different things of that nature. So they would go down. But what a lot of people started doing was fixing them up or to make them habitable where it wasn't just um, um, issue community where somebody, you know, a dog could get like lost in their traps and then now there's a dead dog in the house or whatever stuff comes from these buildings being unha- uninhabitable. So let's make them where we could have people living there and they're safe. Let's make them safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wanted to shout out <clears throat> the poor people's army. That's what they're doing. There was a collective, I forget what they're called. This is way back in the Occupy days. There was a collective in Detroit that was doing the same thing and they were using a lot of like upcycling. I mean, you know, like replacing busted out windows with basically like a ghetto stained glass window made out of fucking glass soda bottles and shit. Like, which actually is really smart because then it creates uh, a buffer, right, between the inside and outside. It's not just a piece of glass. Like the air inside of those bottles actually heats up and radiates heat. Um, So, I mean, it's good. Good insulation, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make. But things like that shouldn't be written off either. Um, and I wish I could remember what the name of the organization was so I could shout them out too. But that was that was 11 years ago at this point. So, I mean, the, the point is, is that there are models that we can follow, that we can adapt to our own communities. Um, it's just a matter of getting out there and doing it. And I think that more and more people are realizing just how dire the situation is for a lot of people. I mean, like I said, I literally don't know anybody who's not a couple of paychecks away from homelessness or losing their car or having the light shut off. Yeah, no, for sure. Something that you just said too, I wanted to, and let me plug in the the high thermon intercommunity garden that we have. that was a um, abandoned property right outside of Gary, Indiana, that we converted into a community garden. And I'll tell you what, that a lot of those people that are in the community rather see that and actually benefit off of that than have some um, abandoned property. And also this, the city itself um, benefit off of that because the workers who come out to try to cut the grass and stuff like that, they don't have to do that no more because we're doing it. Um, but something that we did, which kind of ties into what you said about Detroit and them using basically the resources and what they had is what we did. We took, um, uh, we met a, a, um, a farmer that was getting rid of compost for free and it was kind of doing her a favor and doing us a favor. So we were able to transfer that and use that into the garden as well as, uh, we made a lot of the garden beds out of, um, out of, um, uh, pallets and we cut them up and we made them into boxes where we had now that's how we made our uh community garden there it is where you know the high thermic community garden um um and we do accept donations anything like that so that's pretty cool but a lot of stuff we do is we we try to take things keep that free on marketplace things of that nature on facebook um you know or on uh, wherever and then we try to make what we can out of it and, and if, if it takes that to do some of these and, and some of these houses that are abandoned and where people could take over and make it habitable, that's what we need to do. Because you'd be surprised what people have just laying around in their basement, their garage, or something that may be just 
sitting outside collecting dust. That's wood, uh, you know, different, you know, elements that we could use. And that's what we need to tap in. But when we're not organized and when we're alienated from each other, we'll never know that the next door neighbor knows how to fix a water heater unless we go knock on the door and say hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, really community organizing at its base is that, right? Getting to know your neighbors, getting to know who's good at what, who can do what, who can help with what. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, myself included, for a really long time, I, I just always thought, oh, there's, there's nothing I can do. There's no way that I can start doing this here or, you know, but there is. I mean, literally, just get to know your neighbors. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, not get to know a blatantly fascist neighbor, but that's another topic altogether. I really love these, uh, these pictures from September, you know, like with High Thurman at the garden. It's great. That's the back of my head right there. I was on the grill, <laughs> grill the whole time. <laughs> just High Thurman, Kwame. You know, these are different members um, of the White Panther Party as well. And it started from nothing, just an abandoned lot. So we're, we intend to build onto that a lot and really get as much out of it as we can. That's going to benefit the community. Uh, How does Dr. Rob always have a fucking banjo, though? I think it's one of those that fold up, like and it starts to size, and it's just like it, it like, like pops up and it comes out of his pocket. That that checks out. That's got to be it. Banjo, banjo, Rob. Um, but yeah, I mean, like little things like this, you know. I mean, it might seem little, but it really isn't. It's one of the biggest things that you can do. I mean, especially when we're talking about, you know, the price of food or the price of housing or the price of healthcare. Okay, well, what can we meaningfully start with? Food supply chains. How can we do that? If there was a public uh, inter-community garden like this in every community, we wouldn't have to worry about buying overpriced produce from fucking Walmart. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a matter of we take care of us. Yeah, no doubt. And it kind of ties into what, what we were talking about earlier um, when I brought up about where the, they cut off the electricity out there um, in North Carolina and how we need to be able to build, um, you know, uh, an infrastructure that we're able to survive because we are we are in the hands of the enemies, so to speak, and, and especially in urban areas in which urban gardens uh, mean that much more. Um, and that's, for, you know, for example, in Inglewood, uh, you know, that's uh, one of the more impoverished areas in Chicago, 63rd in that area. They've uh, actually started shutting down a lot of those businesses out there of um, produce and stuff like that, where they're having a lot of shortages. Um, so community gardens and stuff like that in those those neighborhoods uh, will go a long way. And something, too, I seen uh, yesterday on the graces of TikTok was uh, uh, where uh, how much chickens do and how much they give back. And something, if you have the ability to uh, have chickens, how, you know, that can be a huge benefit. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think that's something that you should look into there. I mean, you've got the space, uh, build, oh, a little, I... build a little tractor coop, you know what I'm saying? Have two or four hens and just move that thing around once a week or so. 
and uh, you know, watch how much healthier the soil gets or, you know, collect their droppings and use it, just throw it in your fucking compost. Um, but specifically them scratching and pecking that aerates the soil. Right. I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that whole rabbit hole. There is a whole list of benefits of having chickens in your yard. Um, if you have the space and it's not against your local ordinances, you definitely should do it. And even if it is against your local ordinances, you should probably still do it. <laughs> Community chickens for everybody. Hell yeah. Eggs are a human right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh this one i feel like i feel like i might have gotten carried away with the uh with the headline here but i think that you'll all like jim crow joe's strike busting extravaganza so everybody's been comparing this situation to reagan forcing the air traffic controllers back back to work in the 80s the difference is the air traffic controllers were literally federal employees, right? This move isn't federal workers. This move is private workers. This puts Biden to the right of Reagan. Like, I know that we're in fucking Ronald Reagan's like 11th or 12th term at this point, but like, does this make it a little more obvious? I hope. Yeah. I think uh, another, another cup of coffee, just even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, actually, before I dive too deep into this, there's a couple of comments. I wasn't paying attention for a few minutes. Let me catch up on those. Natalie said, I can't think of much worse than having homeless people in the richest country in the world with rich real, real estate investors writing off hundreds of unoccupied apartments and homes for tax breaks. I don't think I could have said that better myself. Yeah. I was worried. Um, Vicky said, hey there, hope you had an awesome birthday, Rob. Thanks. Thanks. It was not bad. Wait, a couple days ago, right? Or yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday. Now we got a thing for you. Oh, God, <laughs> please don't. Um, and then she said, Zen motherfucker, I hope you feel better. We all do. Um. Natalie said, I seem to have a lot of those types of neighbors around here. I'm going to guess that she's talking about the fashy types. Um, honestly, Natalie, I'd like to see you like get involved with the things going on around Chicago or even uh, Northwest Indiana. Like you're really not that far from the Panther Collective there. You're not that far from Kwame in uh, Indianapolis. You're not that far from all the groups that are on the ground in Chicago. Yeah, um, the Young Lords, they're out there. There's a lot of good organizations that are coming out of Chicago. Yeah, and I mean, you are I, I know, Natalie, you're not in Chicago, but I know you're not that far from it, is why I bring this up. Um, Zen said, I'll barbecue to the people. I'm going <laughs> to give that a heart react real quick. Um, James said, it's sad to say, but they tried a similar garden here and someone ripped out all the plants and stole the flower pots and all. That's outrageous. Um, maybe a community defense squad at the garden. Know what I'm saying? 
But you think about it too, what triggers somebody to do something like that, right? Like, you know, what what would be someone's motive to do that? And, you know, that really taps into a lot of that alienation and stuff like that too. But, you know, it's like when there's community members that that's why it's important to have all community members within that community, like involved in that. May it be just, you know, dropping some of the, you know, like we did that, we dropped off, um, tomatoes and stuff to them in the little bags you know just as like a token of appreciation for being just in the community a gesture so to speak but to know that this is not our uh garden but it's all of our gardens yeah i made a kind of half joke kind of not I replied to James saying, that's awful. They were like the kulaks in Ukraine circa 1930s. Maybe forced collectivization is necessary. Oh, God. Yeah. I so, thought it was funny. They're self-sabotaging, right? That's what it is. Like, you could literally, instead of destroying the garden, you could just went and got some tomatoes and made some salsa and just chill. Like, come on. You're just hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, back to back to the topic that I brought up and then circled back. Jim Crow Joe's strike busting extravaganza. Yeah. Um, basically, I wanted to. Uh, I, I have three sources for this of things that I want to take from. Um, I'm going to start, though, with the Workers' World Party statement of solidarity with the railroad workers. And I think this one I'll just straight up read. I think that I more or less agree with almost everything said in this. Um, by, by all means, if either of you want to uh, interject, or inter interject, sorry, um, with your own thoughts, just, you know, cut me off, let me know. President Joe Biden has just signed legislation. Actually, before we get into this, let's, let's go back just a little bit, right? So this legislation, let's not forget that the squad, right, all but one of the squad voted to break the strike. Even progressive Democrats, progressive Democrats are not your friend. Um, but they introduced it as two bills, one to break the strike and one to give them seven days of sick time. They passed the strike breaking bill and failed the sick time bill. So, you know, they're just like, oh, we tried because that's all the fucking Democrats know how to do. Um, Any who's it, President Joe Biden has just signed legislation passed by both houses of Congress imposing a contract between class one freight rail companies and the 11, I thought it was 12, but be, between freight rail companies and the 11 railroad unions. Thus, with the stroke of a pen, the CEO of the capitalist state, Joe Biden, stripped these unions of their most basic right, the right to strike. And I'm gonna interject here. I know I said you guys can interject if you want, but I'm gonna interject right fucking there. All right, um, you know, 100 years ago, right it was like hey boss me and the me and the boys decided that we're gonna go on strike and if you try to stop it you know we're gonna have to use force 
Now it's like, oh, can I please have sick days? Like that is how far de-radicalized the unions have got. I intend to have a whole conversation about that after this. Um, I already covered this too, a separate bill adding seven paid sick days to the railroad workers contract, a key bargaining issue for the workers passed in the house but was defeated in the Senate. Um, I think that is absolutely by design. I think that was the plan. Um, this anti-worker legislation should shatter any illusions that the Democratic Party is the party of the working class. Biden signing the deal gives the lie to his phony statement made for the umpteenth time on Labor Day 2021 that he intends to be, and this is an actual quote, the most pro-union president leading the most pro-union administration in American history. I just, I, I just want to like, you know, let you that. We laugh about that lie. What is yeah. The yeah, so the self-declared most pro-union president leading the most pro-union administration in American history just broke a strike that even fucking Ronald Reagan wouldn't have broke. What? <laughs> and I mean, even like, okay, so like my dad does not share my political beliefs pretty much at all, right? Um, but even, even that, he was like, well, you know, like one of the things that I didn't really like about Reagan was him sending the air traffic controllers back to work, but they were federal employees. How the fuck does Congress have the right to tell the railroad industry to get back to work? And, you know, like he was straight up a Trump guy. So I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, rail unions have been trying to negotiate a just contract with the carriers for, for over three years. Their last strike was in 1992. Congress forced them back to work then too. Since that time, the rail workforce has been systematically cut from 500,000 to about 130,000 workers with train teams of only two people, which move more freight with about a quarter of the workforce. Um, I think the argument can be made that regardless of what um, industry you're involved with, that's the general rule. They expect more and more productivity out of less and less people. We see it in restaurants, we see it in retail, we see it in manufacturing, we see it in the railroad industry, the trucking industry. Across the board, this is the case. They expect more and more out of fewer and fewer people that they're paying less and less over time. Um, now the companies wanna reduce the two worker train teams to one, one engineer operating mega monster trains. This sounds like a kid's movie. Mega monster trains. Man, a three-year-old would love that shit. That was supposed to be a joke. I get it. I'm not funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, four unions representing a majority of all railroad workers have voted to reject the tentative agreement brokered by Biden and Labor Secretary Marty Walsh in September. Um, the workers' main issues involve scheduling their work time, and to take paid and unpaid time off for health situations and family events. This, they've been saying since day one that that's the issue, right? You can't, you can't always schedule a doctor's appointment, especially if it's like a specialist three months out, right? You don't know when you're gonna be sick and to have to take either their paid vacation time, which is supposed to be for vacation 
or their un or or you know straight up unpaid time off, assuming that they, um, you know, aren't coming up on the the cutoff limit for for absences. Um, it, it's not tenable. I mean, they're they're on call twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for most of the fucking year. And you mean to tell me that seven sick days is too much? The fact that Warren Buffett, right, he owns the, the biggest uh, rail line in the fucking nation. The fact that Warren Buffett's wealth is like damn near doubled since the pandemic and he can't afford to give his fucking employees, he can't afford to give his um, uh, employees fucking sick time when they're literally the people that make our economy work. I think says all you need to know about, you know, these woke billionaires, right? I mean, he pretends to be on the right side of all sorts of issues, but seriously, you're not going to give your fucking work, your workers sick time when you're worth billions of dollars. Because at the end of the day, all he really cares about is that bottom line. Capitalists only care about capital. They don't care about the Exactly. And what really bugs me is when working class people will kind of, um, well, I, I don't know how else to word it, punch down, right? Like, oh, well, you know, it's Christmas time. It wouldn't be good for me if they went on strike right now. It's more like liberal, liberal pearl clutching, right? Just like the homeless encampments, just like trans people defending themselves. Yeah, um, some I have so much to say on this, just like in any topic. <laughs> um, yeah. But to start, I mean, depending on how much room you got got for me, but um, I mean, I definitely have a lot of different angles to kind of respond to this. Like, you know, I think a good thing to look into is like the history of unions and union bustings changing forms and had, coming from different angles because it's not just Congress. There's all so many different different ways that it could be done. Um, but just off my personal experience of uh, uh, people who are reacting, um, like the truck driving industry, the truck, there's a lot of truck drivers who um, I engaged with on, as a truck driver. And some of the things that they've said were, well, that's better for us because we get better loads. Um, F, you know, let them, they're crybabies. Uh, I don't even get any work. To, uh, I don't get any sick days if I, so I don't care about them or whatever. Like there's this, there's this divide and there's this, uh, a lot of anti-union uh, rhetoric that comes around. And uh, some of it, there's some good points in it where maybe unions uh, reps may be sold out, but that doesn't uh, alleviate the fact that workers organizing is, is so important on all realms because if we're not looking out for each other, then who's going to look out for us? The capitalist class? Like, no, not, not at all. Like, that is a contradiction. There's there is no level of where the uh, the employers or the capitalist class they're uh, they're going to put us before their profits. That's not how capitalism works. So that's something that that needs to definitely you know anybody who's a worker needs to really examine like. You being a brown noser, you being suck up, you being, well, I got, I did way better once I left the union stuff is not have anything to do with 
with us organizing as a collective and actually getting some change. Um, you know, I think a lot of that, I think people who can actually relate to this too on uh, another level is the service workers, you know, uh, a lot of what they got going on and you'll hear them, the punch down, like you said about, oh, Starbucks workers and uh, McDonald's workers want a minimum wage to be increased and that's causing- And they can't know, even right? get the order right. <laughs> right. Or you got the pat socks, like baristas aren't proletarians. <laughs> yeah, these these people are very, uh, uh, I would say, labor arist arist aristocratic, where they have this, they're on this high horse, where they believe and honestly, if anybody who takes a look at um, this aristocracy itself, it's shrinking, there is not this higher level of workers that are getting these better benefits that like it used to be, like where they caused like they wanted to create this middle class. And that really um, is shrinking so much where you're not too far off from being, like you said, not too far off from being homeless. You're not too far off from losing all those things that you've, uh, you, you, you get in your gated community. Um, and that's something to really look into. Um, and then, and then these same people have, will be like the HOA type people like housing, but that's like organized housing. But anyways, uh, something I wanted to say, if you give me like a couple minutes, I want to tie just a couple brief points in real yeah. quick. Um, and this is, I'm just going to briefly go over this article. It's out of workersorganizing.org. What is the task Hartley? And um, why is it bad? Um, and I'm not going to get into all the details of it. So I'm just going to briefly go into it. I just would tell anybody to go read some of it. Um, it's got some good points in there. Um so the National Labor Relations Act, also known as the uh, Wagner Act in 1935, mind you, we were coming out of the, uh, starting to come out of the Great Depression and there was World War II that was, that was um, uh, happening. But uh, across a lot of these industrialized countries and even backwards countries, uh, workers, um, yeah, for sure. Workers will, um, were organizing, socialism was on a rise, um, communism was on a rise, and you've seen it all over the planet. But at the time, we were in a Great Depression where a lot of people died and a lot of people were starving, uh, this and that nature. But organizing was starting to come to a um, fruition even higher and higher. But uh, the, 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 the Wagner Act of 1935 ushered in a new era of union membership and workers' rights, but its potential was limited by the passage of the Taft-Hartley Act. Uh, a decade later. How did the, uh, the Taft-Hartley Act come about? Um, uh, the Wagner Act gave workers the formal right to form unions and collectively bargain and with their, to their, with their employers. It led to union membership reaching its peak in the years and immediately uh, following World War II. However, in 1946, Republicans gained control of both houses of Congress. For the first time in over a decade, they rose to power in part by promising to put an end to a strike wave sweeping through the nation at the time. Most unions had agreed to a quote, no strike pledge during the war years. So there was a uh, concentration of labor actions following the, uh, the conflict. So they passed the Tarfley Act in 1947 and it dismantled labor, labor gains of the, the New Deal era to tip the scales of bargaining power in favor of employers. The bill substantially rewrote 
uh, the Wagner Act and began the slow decline of union membership to nearly all time low we, we see today. Um, right to work provisions, um, authorized so-called right to work laws, a union representing a workplace in a right to work state is forced to bargain for dues paying members and new uh, non-members alike. They are prohibited from ch uh, charging any fees to non-members in exchange for their representation. Uh, the workers, uh, the decentifies workers from joining the union and guts union financing. There are right to work laws on books in 28 states. These laws have significantly reduced union membership, which have uh, contributed to increase in inequality. The, in the free speech clause of the Taft-Hartley Act uh, made it clear that law bridging an employer's right to express their views on unionization was a violation of their free speech. The free speech clause authorizes employers to hold so-called captive audience meetings to dissuade employees from joining unions. And you literally have paid people who are getting put into place that they're dumped millions and they will take laborers um, money and turn around and create an entity that is uh, designed to push people away from organizing, like literal, literal plants. Another thing was the anti-communist uh, pledge. Uh, Senator, uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy was one of the many freshman Republicans on Capitol Hill at the time of the Taft-Hartley's Act passage. Uh, not coincidentally, the bill would feature an early version of what we know as McCarthyism. Each union officer was required to submit an affidavit to, uh, the, um, to stating that they were not a member of the Communist Party or any other organization supporting the overthrow of the United States government. Aside from being almost laughably unconstitutional, this uh, created a major schism in the labor movement and coalition of the New Deal liberals and more radical socialists and communists. And a lot of people don't know that a lot of people back in those days were um, social socialists. You know, you look at um, uh, the rise of, of Eugene Debs, um, you see this, you know, Communist Party of USA, you see um, Socialists of America and things of that nature, but across the globe, socialism was just a normal uh, political ideology or socioeconomic uh, ideology. And these are the things where you see where the unions got pushed right when they started getting rid of these anti-capitalist um, entities and people without the union. So you see the, the, the communists and socialists getting pushed out of the unions, you see where things started to go really bad. Um, the ban on secondary boycotts. Taft-Hartley Taft um, banned secondary boycotts. Um, noted in the American Prospect, and it doesn't manage to provide a clear definition of what a secondary bo boycott is. Um, generally, a secondary boycott is understood to meaning striking workers from one company, putting pressure on a third party to, to stop doing business with their company. For example, Workers for a juice company might try to convince a grocery store chain to stop carrying their company's juice. These common practices used by unions all over the world. But what's so ironic is you'll see stuff like this happening in Congress where um, the, the, these, uh, these, these businesses, these entities will uh, move in favor of another company. It might help their stocks. It might help them get uh, people 
for their campaign, raise money or whatever. You see us being sold out to these corporations all the time, but we can't try to get another, you know, um, another company of workers to try to support what we're doing on the other side of town or something. Um, the PRO Act is currently awaiting a vote in Congress. If uh, passed, it would be most significant labor. This was uh, made last year. Uh, labor rights bill since the Wagner Act, it would appeal most of the Taffley uh, Taft-Harley Act secondary boycotts would become legal and all right uh, to work laws would be immediately repealed. Obviously that didn't happen. I don't even need to go look. But I know, check it out if anyone wants to read into that. It gives a brief little history of it. It's on workerorganizing.org. What is Taft-Harley and why is it bad? I don't know how long much I can hold on until, uh, until Rob gets back. <laughs> You got anything to add into uh, what we were uh, just talking about, comrade? Uh, not much. Uh, I believe what they they like tried to get rid of the communist movement. Uh, even in the '90s, they were trying to push for it. To that, Bill Clinton, wasn't it? Bill Clinton was trying to get it so uh, they would teach anti-communist propaganda uh, in schools and such, and. To, to the younger generation. So we, uh, we were uh, brainwashed from the beginning to, to think that capitalism was the best way. And uh, it's not until we get out of school and actually learn that uh, workers you need to unite and we need to have unions. Like my, my dad was vice president of a UAW here where I work or where I live. And uh, <clears throat> The union didn't even help stop that company from moving down to Mexico. You know, it, it just, it was like whatever, because unions became what, what the article said, what you said was the unions became more capitalist instead of socialist. And, you know, they, they're only, I'm not saying all unions look out for themselves, but I'm saying unions aren't what they used to be. They're not, they're not, they're not uh, as bold you know, as they used to be, and they didn't want, they don't want to fight with what uh, what the workers have, and, and that's the power, so. Yeah, for sure, and that's one of the things that, you know, once you have organizing workers, don't stop there. Like, there's many class antagonisms that have to be examined, and uh, yeah, Red Scare, that's exactly what that was, and I know that the McCarthy was you know, one of the godfathers of that over here. Um, and I know that in Florida, I think DeSantis, uh, I think, I can't remember, so don't quote me. I think they were trying to push something that was getting that pushing anti-communism type stuff in the schools right now in Florida. I could definitely say that, definitely under DeSantis. Uh, any kind of uh, Republican nowadays would probably try to push anti-communist propaganda, so. And a lot of times they're not even aware of them uh, working against their own uh, class interests. So recently, the company that I was working for um, had closed the doors and sold sold it. And a lot of people who've been working at this company have, you know, were like shocked and like, you know, and even including the bootlickers, the ones that were like up the owner's butts. And these guys were like, what? I thought they would never do this. Like, now what am I going to do? Now what am I going to do? Like, I've I invested so much into this company. Like, I did this and I did that. And I remember talking to one of these guys um, and I was just like, hey, man, look, 
wouldn't it be nice if we just went in there and talked to the owners and say, hey, look, what if we take over the company and we'll just pay you guys back and we'll take over, you know, uh, everything and we can decide what, you know, how much we get paid because, you know, these are the same guys who are like, man, these other drivers, you know, they're not good enough. They don't drive as much as I, they'd be, you know, pushing like, you know, stuff against each other. I'm like, well, you know, if, you know, then maybe you could decide who, you know, we could collectively decide who's a good enough truck driver in the company, or we could collectively decide what, how many um, vacation hours, sick days, and, you know, things like that, how much we work in general, what loads we're going to take. He was like, wouldn't that sound like, he was like, hell yeah. I'm like, bro, you're talking like a socialist. You're like, oh, hell no, 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 I'm not a socialist. No, no. And it got super reactionary, you know, and that's that buzzword that's been indoctrinated in so many of us because of Red Scare. Yeah, which I I wanted to take just a quick moment here to um, say that we, as in for we are many, have a piece on the first Red Scare, uh, which was after World War I, after the Bolshevik uh, Revolution, more specifically. The second Red Scare, the evolution of the AFL and the CIO, and then later the AFL-CIO, the de-radicalization of those is talked about in that. or look at the UAW, right? Like the Flint sit-down strike. They occupied a factory and fought off the National Guard with literally nuts and bolts for 45 days, right? This was primarily spearheaded by socialists, communists, and anarchist workers. And then within the 10 years after that, um, the UAW basically pushed out all the communists, socialists, and anarchists to appease the liberals. Um, And to bring this into a modern context, the UAW currently is trying to silence opposition as University of California strikers press their demand for higher wages in COLA. So, you know, like this isn't a new thing. Um, Let's not forget the CIO was formed by communists. There's there's another situation I want to tie into the... um, railway strike, right? Because it's another railway strike and it was also handled very heavy handedly by the federal government. Congress didn't force them back to work, the fucking army did or tried. Um, and I'm talking about the Pullman strike in 1877 that was you know, spearheaded by Eugene Debs. Now there's a, there's a man we should be learning about in fucking history class, but we don't. Um, and also this whole like de-radicalization and liberalization of unions is exactly why modern unions uh, that, that have formed over the last year or two, such as the Starbucks union or the Amazon labor union, they didn't choose to join Teamsters. You know, they didn't choose to join uh, service industry unions they started their own because they recognize these very same issues that we're talking about. I didn't mean to totally derail it there, but I've been like holding, <laughs> holding these thoughts the whole time. Pain for you to come back too. So, you know, just, it's easy for me to get carried away. I just wanted to tie in one little like quote. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm a paraphrase it because I don't know the exact quote, but uh, Kwame uh, Toure once said, and this got to do with Red Scare. So, you know, you ask that, you know, majority of people what communism is, um, 
or you ask majority of people what they think about communism they tell you they hate it like they don't like it then you ask majority of them what they what is communism they can't define it is the major point he was making and he says also that if you like if you are diametrically opposed like this is your enemy and you say that communism is like the the ultimate evil uh, just like as if there was a snake that was trying to kill you right wouldn't it behoove you is the word he used behoove you to try to know exactly what your enemy is so you could try to protect yourself from it or whatever and that was like the gist of what he was making and i think a lot of people that's where the education part comes into it a lot um because most of these people are in fear of the communist agenda uh the socialist and these things and that but they don't even know what it is so they're making an enemy based off something they can't even define just like with you know his analogy of the snake like you have this this is your enemy you should learn about it try to that we uh on TikTok, we we talk to people a lot you know we hold debates and stuff on lives and we always ask them you know what is communism and like they cannot answer that question, you know, only only people that have studied it or have like actually learned and they can't even give a simple definition. Of it's usually like a, a dictatorship or they always point to like North Korea or, you know, stuff like that. And it's like you have no idea. Right. And they, they can't they can't even admit that they don't have an idea of what communism is because the propaganda in the United States has fed them so much lies that it's beyond them to even look up what communism is, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, okay, once again, my dad is like, uh, uh, like a Trumper, basically, right? But yet when we talk about economic or employment issues, 90% of the time, if I don't use any of the big scary jargon or any of the buzzwords, right, we agree on 95% of fucking everything. But I can't just be like, oh, hey, you're sounding pretty communist there, because then he won't listen to anything else I have to say. Yeah, ever. Oh, exactly. yeah it's, and it's pretty messed up, even on the flip side of things, you ask, like, to try to be more like upfront, like, what is capitalism can you describe how it functions what it is and you know um the, a lot of times can do that because sometimes when you examine the system which you're in you'll see those contradictions and those conflicts you know yeah and don't get me started on the whole black book thing because uh we all know we all three of us could debunk that book real easy oh and, the uh, black book on communism oh yeah, my god yeah. You remember in the group chat when Don brought up the the Holodomor and then just like left the chat? <laughs> like yeah. that's the kind of that's the kind of mentality that you get when you're trying to talk about things like the USSR or communism. And people will take something like that and run with it and discount the whole ideology, throwing the baby out with the bathwater because of Western propaganda. Yeah. Like, oh well, the government lied to me about this, this, and this, but they would never lie to me about that. Those, <laughs> those are those fascists deflecting, right? Because what, what, what I just gave on some examining the Taft-Hartley Act and us coming out of World War One, World Two, and all that stuff was that we had um, a lot of people dying in in here in the Imperial Corps, like in the U.S. from the Great Depression. 
from lack of food, lack of health care, all these millions. So it's like they don't even talk about those numbers. They'll I go. Think, and say, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think it's estimated that 140 million natives alone die when for, from the birth of capital. So, I mean, that that alone, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, of course, it's just an estimate, but these estimates are put out by the academic and religious institutions that perpetuated this genocide. So, of course, that estimate is going to be greatly under-exaggerated. And then the opposite is going to be overly exaggerated. Yeah. And if you... uh, They've done studies, like, in Russia, and they've said, you know, they've said, you know, would you go back to communism? And I think it's, like, upwards to like 70 something percent of the population in Russia say yeah I would rather go back to communism because we were treated better we had you know actually our needs met and yeah people that have experienced like a form of communism or even socialism I know you know with there's been no true communism, you know, besides like indigenous people. But to, to experience some sort of socialism, you, you, and then you experience capitalism, it's, it's totally two different things, you know. One's for the people and one's against the people. And right. I mean, if we could just teach the people that socialism and communism is actually for you and you could actually have more you could you know you could do more with your life instead of selling the most important thing which is your time to people you know yeah i don't think uh having sick days should be a problem like period no that is great yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't care if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's. You should not have to miss out on pay because you're sick, especially working with food. Holy shit. Yeah, I want I want a year off for when we have children, you know, for maternity leave for both the father and the mother. <laughs> the USSR had a full year for mothers and uh, I think it was six months for fathers. I mean, I'm not sure what it is today in like Cuba or China, but I'm willing to bet that they at least have legally protected um, parental leave. Yeah, what happened to being pro-family in this discussion where you want to spend time with your family and all that stuff, but that goes out the window because you need to pull yourself up by your boots. Yeah, yeah. Completely. Um, So while we're still on the topic of unions, I guess I kind of want to wrap up this section. And the next one's going to be really quick because, I mean, we've all talked about it for years at this point, and that's going to be police brutality. I just wanted to point out a a statistic that I read the other day, and I wasn't surprised by it, but I feel like a lot of people will be. I'll get to that in a minute. First, I brought up Eugene Debs for a reason, right? As far as um, socialists in the U.S., especially during the Red Scare, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to find a more proletarian man than Eugene than Eugene B. Debs. Um, 
and, and I just wanted to read like three or four quotes from him just to kind of like give you a glimpse into what his thought processes were. This one you've probably all heard. It's one of my favorites. It says, uh, he says, while there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a single soul in prison, I am not free. Basically, it's a long-winded, an injury to one is an injury to all. Um, another really good one is, I would not be a Moses to lead you into the promised land, because if I could lead you into it, someone else could lead you out of it. Right, which to take that a little deeper, I mean, he's kind of getting at self-determination. He's not trying to, to lead you into the promised land. He's trying to get you to help construct the promised land. Yeah. Um, like, uh, we should all be leaders instead of followers. Exactly. Exactly. Um, a privately owned world can never be a free world, and a society based upon warring classes cannot stand. That's... That's a good one. Or for the uh, atheists in the crowd, this is, a, this is a pretty good one too. If I were hungry and friendless today, I would rather take my chances with a saloon keeper than with the average preacher. Yeah, there's something to, to, to understand when, when the quote from Mark saying that, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses, you know, is because people turn to these preachers and stuff because our material conditions are so messed up. Like we have to, take ourselves out of the equation. That's why we, you see the rise of drug use and alcohol use and all these things. We just are medicating ourselves uh, ideologically, mentally, physically, because of our condition, overworked, you know, mm -hmm. else, where else we're gonna turn to? We need, you know, God help us, God help us because what I'm being taught is there's, this is how things are and there's nothing else that we can do as people, which, you know, it's a way of just, you know, giving us, uh, you know, say, calm down, you'll be all right. Like, just go pray about it or go drink, go just medicate yourself when we should get I'm, together. I'm glad that you brought up that quote because I see it misused a lot. Um, generally by atheists trying to like throw shade at religious people, which I understand, don't get me wrong, but like he, was talking about it being a coping mechanism <laughs> right like i mean people try to weaponize that quote it just bothers the shit out of me he wasn't saying that that uh religious people are necessarily like drug addicts he was saying they're using it as a coping mechanism like drug addicts do um yeah and that goes, I, I think that's an important distinction that goes full circle into what you uh, all we're talking about earlier, which is mutual aid. We can be that support system. We can be that thing that people turn to when they're in need. It, it just, it, it's up to us to uh, initiate that into our communities. So. Yeah. Yeah, something to, to consider too is that, that throughout history that um, these more organized religions or big religions, small ones, all these different things. A lot of it's changed throughout history based off of 
our means of subsistence or how we survive and things of that nature. So that's something to take take into consideration. I don't think that Marx or Engels were like diametrically opposed to somebody having beliefs. I don't think, I think, I think Engels has about like 10, no, he's got way more than that. He's got a lot of articles that I've seen that he dives into theology and things of that nature. So, um, the the beginning of uh, Christianity was communism. So, I mean, after uh, the unaliving of Jesus, uh, the apostles moved towards uh, a community that they, if you go look it up, the beginning of it was actually Christian communism, and uh, we've. Uh, that religion's fallen pretty far from that. Well, since, yeah, I mean, ever since King James translated the Bible to, uh, you know, reinforce the idea of divine rule and, you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and all of this bullshit, <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of it stems back to that. And that was what the 1500s or maybe early 1600s and i mean obviously it was being used as a control mechanism well before that um i couldn't tell you exactly when the vatican was you know like built or whatever but think about how much money and manpower that took um you know so like i mean the religion was co-opted pretty early in its life cycle if you think about it by initially the roman state and then all of europe basically well, the, all these systems do understand a diff, they try to find different ways of either like as a tool for their own, you know, benefit. And it be a lot of that. So once we're able to eliminate the class structure, there's no one uh, class or one system above like a monarchy or something that's going to benefit off of it. You know, uh, I mean, like, or utilize it for their own personal benefits, opposed to, you know, there being uh, equal access to everything like communism, what this supposed to bring, like this, this would uh, change the dynamics of religion across the board um, and really start diving into some more liberating matters. And like something I want to read that I heard is really good is Red Theology, but I haven't uh, got a chance to read that yet. Um, but that's something good. But a point that I'm bringing up about the Vatican, imagine if we liquefied the entire <laughs> that city into how much money that's in there could probably feed the planet but that's i mean that's beyond the point but yeah at the, yeah i mean that that could be a whole <laughs> fucking episode on its own um, i don't think people turn to religion in in the masses to uh use it as harm we, they use it as a, a coping mechanism for good yeah there is one more short but sweet Eugene Debs quote that I want to read, and then, you know, we'll t we'll talk briefly about pre police brutality. Um, I, I do want to keep that one short. Basically, I just kind of want to go over the 2022 numbers as current as I can, um, because, well, I'll get to that in a second. This quote, though, this Eugene Debs quote: "Patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel." I didn't expect crickets there. I, <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, like we, we do throw some shade at patriotic socialists because, well, I mean, you know, there's not much difference between patriotic socialism and national socialism and national socialism is the Nazi ideology. 
Um, it's, it's nothing more than really a corruption of the word socialism. Um, but, you know, the kind of people that buy hook, line, and sinker, the greatest country on earth fabrication, I mean, yeah, some of them are just duped because we're, we're led to believe it our whole lives. But the people that grasp onto this, right, when faced with the facts, those are the type of people that are not comrades, that, that you know, their existence is like antithetical to ours. Uh, right. These tend to be the types of people that don't support the gay rights movement or, um, you know, don't believe in um, working with other Marxists. We need unity between Marxists. Um, but they aren't Marxists, I guess, is my point. Anyway, I'm I'm going off topic here on to police brutality. Well, I, you don't want to give me you want me to talk about the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, honestly, if you want to like set up a time where we can do a whole episode on it, I have a lot of thoughts on the matter and I've been trying to figure out for months now what is a good way to cover them on the program without like, you know, helping them recruit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that we do need to have a discussion on that, but I mean, we're already kind of over time, so I don't think tonight is the right time to do that. Um, anyway, police brutality, right? This is not a new issue on this show or in the minds of anybody that's watching it. Um, this has been going on for decades. However, 2022, right? After two years after the George Floyd uprisings, um, U.S. police have killed more U.S. citizens this year than any other year on record. As of November 27th, right? We're not even done with the year. There's a whole nother month to go. Um, there is a good website, excuse me, for getting this information. I'm gonna drop it in the comments right now. Um, it's mappingpoliceviolence.us. Um, these numbers are incomplete, basically until after the end of the year. Um, and it only talks about reported police violence incidents. So the number that they are giving is 1,074 people. The cutoff date was, well, actually on this map, it's September 7th. But I'm going to, let me stop that share and share this. So it's like... Um, let me, let me start at the beginning of the year, too. How about that? So this is, God damn it, this is, uh, these two dots were December 31st of last year. The rest is all 2022. And obviously, you're going to see higher concentrations in major cities, right? But like, holy shit. Um but they do things like you can compare places which to be honest i wanted to do some comparing of states and cities um i didn't expect it to be uh going on two hours already so remind me in a future week and we will come back to this and do that uh they lay out national trends uh the year-end police violence report um and you can find out where the data comes from and how they obtain it all that 
Um, this says that the database was updated through 12.3. That's, that's the full database, not the map. Um, there have only been 13 days in 2022 where the police did not kill someone. And they're indicated by zeros. 13 days in the whole fucking year. Um, police killed 18 more people through 12-3 compared to this period last year. Um, police killed black people at higher rates than white people in 48 of the 50 largest U.S. cities. Okay, so like, black people have been 24% of those killed by police in 2022 despite being 13% of the population. The stuff that the Black Lives Matter movement, and I'm not gonna get into the whole discussion about the difference between the movement and the nonprofit organization, right? But the Black Lives Matter movement was saying these things at peaceful protests, and they were attacked by the police, they were attacked by fascists, they were attacked by federal agencies. They right? were framed for certain things that they didn't do. Yeah. So like, I don't know how to fucking understate that or to, I, I don't think this can be overstated that this issue is just getting worse and worse. Um, and you know, like obviously police brutality, fuck, uh, talking about the second rainbow coalition or um, talking about the original rainbow coalition, even ask high Thurman if police brutality was an issue in Chicago in the sixties. Or, you know, I, I believe Bobby seal is still alive. Ask him if police brutality was an issue in Oakland, California in the 60s. So the Civil Rights Act did not fix any of these issues, right? And then we were basically guilted into, well, I mean, not me, I voted Green Party, but we were basically guilted into voting for Jim Crow Joe, right? If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. The dude literally wrote the 1994 crime bill like the massive incarceration numbers that we see today are largely the, the fault of Joe Biden specifically himself. And this is the guy that's supposed to reform the police and fucking no, no, hell no. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's really all I got. I did want to discuss modern Cuba, but to be honest, um, after going through the information that I grabbed in a little 10 minute search earlier, I think that should also be its own, its own piece. Um, I mean, I was just basically going to talk about international relationships, mutual solidarity, that kind of thing. But I mean, we can just expand that in general to, you know, talking about Cuba and its own, talking about modern Cuba and its own episode. Um, which I mean, you know, both of you are welcome to come back for that whenever we do it. Um, like I said, I really wanted to talk about that tonight, but that is a, a dense topic and there's a whole lot more that we can tie into it if we do it as a standalone episode. Um, Even the what was that? I said, yeah, for sure. And even the police brutality could be an entire episode for sure. Like, well, shit, the police brutality could be its own se uh, series. Yeah. 
I, the whole time you were saying that, I was thinking, jo Joe just raised that budget this year. The budget's been more than uh, it's ever been. You know, do you think that's maybe a coalition between, you know, the most killings that, you know? So. I got I got a two minute response to that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it, Rob. It might that two minutes really means like ten minutes though. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Just like like I was saying at the at the committee meeting tonight, everybody like you can see it. Everybody's like reaching for the leave button, and Rob's like, "Wait, I got something." <laughs> Yeah, good don't worry. You I always got, bring up good points. I could carry a conversation. That's all. <laughs> Being a good socialist. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah, and I mean, that can't be understated either, right? Like, I mean, how successful we're going to be at organizing literally depends on how well we can talk to other people. And I think that that's something that's often overlooked in organizing circles. And there's a whole lot of like this, oh, well, I can't work with these people and I can't work with those people. And I, I mean, that was one of the reasons we started the podcast, right? I wasn't even a communist then, or well, in reality, I was, I just didn't know it yet. Um, but officially or whatever, I wasn't even a communist yet, but it was like, wow, look at all the hate that communists get from anarchists or especially from liberals. I, I wasn't a communist either, but I, I went over to TikTok and they uh, they radicalized me a little more. No, I just found out who I was more. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the whole thing. I mean, I, I was raised with this like anti-communist sentiment. I always like kind of felt like libertarian socialism, you know, classical libertarianism, as I called it for the longest time, um, was like where I fit. But there was some ideas that I had that were in direct contradiction to that. And well, I mean, surprise, it's because I'm a fucking communist, not a libertarian. <laughs> I can't relate because I was born a communist. So, uh, oh, oh, I'm, yeah. You guys, join the team. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Anyway, Rob, if you want to, uh, you know, like shout anything out that you know of that's uh, that's going on, or if you want to, uh, you know, steer people towards, uh, you know, a podcast you like or a book that you've been reading or whatever, um, he's going to give us a whole fucking library of books now. No, no, I really, I'm one of those people. I I jump around from book to book. Sometimes I don't read them front to back. Usually it depends on what debate I'm in at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I would just say, like, if you are um, worried about anything that's going on in the current events right now, just try to uh, look for whatever you can on the, as far as organizations that might be. Um, we all can't be um, political purists all the time or most of the time. So if there's... Uh, some some organization that you could lean on, maybe you know Green Party, CPUSA, PSL, um, just a, lo a local community that's doing uh, you know pro you know programs for the community in general, and it doesn't even have to be anything like this. Just getting out and meet people is going to be important for our survival. We see so much going on, so um, you know it's it's always important to have a guiding ideology, but you know the 
social practice is just as important. Like we have to get out there and meet people, you know? So that's all, you know, my advice. Look into the second rainbow coalition. You know, I got to plug them. <laughs> Hell yeah. Or I mean, UPM for that matter. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, I got the shirt on. <laughs> I don't. And I don't even have my beret on. I put my regular hat on to cover my receding hairline. One picture <laughs> Hey, it was at the event in Chicago, and I felt like I looked for I looked like a sailor. But I mean, <laughs> I'll wear it here and there. <laughs> oh man! Um, and then Austin, if you have uh, you know anything that you want to plug, or you know, like uh, any social media pages or videos that you found that you liked, or podcasts or books or whatever. I'm. There is a app you can download. It's called uh, the Marxist Library. And yeah, it yeah. It's has, run by, if I remember correctly, it's run by the Marxist Internet Archives. Yep, and it has like thousands of books you can get for free. So yes. I just want everybody to know that, you know, because uh, not all of us communists are uh, able to buy books. So <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. I'm glad that I have a community library here that's uh, close enough to drive to. Let me show you what I've been reading. Oh, wow. That's the big one. Yeah. There's a volume two. There's a five, I think. It's either four or five, but it's actual, you know, foreign languages press. You can China. Yeah, foreign language uh, press has free stuff as well, audio downloads. But, you know, that's really good to look into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like they're more focused on digital stuff these days. I don't even think that they, you know, export books, at least in the same level that they did in the 60s and 70s. I actually noticed today that they retired some stuff, what they put in there. Mm. Well, damn. Um, but yeah, fucking, they have a lot of uh, Chairman G works in there too, which I haven't read any of yet. Are you forbid to say his name? <laughs> are you? Are, you said Chairman G. I'm like, is it forbidden to say his name? <laughs> Why would it be forbidden to say? Oh, no. because <laughs> are you going to call him a reformist? Is that the kind of the rabbit hole we're going down? No. What Chairman G are you talking about? Xi Jinping? No, 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 no. I thought you were talking about Chairman Gonzalo. I mean, oh, you know, they were they were no. against you, but uh, uh, ideologically opposed on certain things but you know that's who i thought you were referring to <laughs> gotcha no i was talking about the current president chairman whatever the fuck you want to call him um which i mean i definitely do still have critiques of china but i see that he is trying to lead the party back towards its you know more radical roots um i'm not going to get into that whole thing though is china capitalist or communist no we, we don't have may never know we don't have to get into that <laughs> i think the the short answer is both but i mean at least they have a communist party to control the capitalist class i'll leave it at that it's a step up from where we're at any who's it um <laughs> yeah i said let's not go down this rabbit hole and then i opened the rabbit hole <laughs> um of course, you can find us all across social media. We have our website uh, for wearemany.org. I've been posting a lot of, uh, well, reposting, I guess, would be a better way 
to um, say that. Um, but Tom Watts from the United Panther Movement uh, has given us permission to republish his writings on our website. I'm still super stoked about that. I spend a lot of time pouring through his writings. They're they're quite long, they're quite dense, but they're all fucking good. Um, and we've got six or seven posted on our website if you wanna you know, start taking a look at them. Um, and there will be more. There's also a couple things on there from uh, Chairman Shaka. There probably will be more of those too. Or, you know, maybe maybe someday when Minister Rob over there starts writing some shit, you know? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. Um, this is a list of our social media platforms. I will give the disclaimer that we're not on all of these regularly, right? Um, so our Facebook page is for We Are Many Podcasts. We are a member of the Left Signal Boost TV Collective. Um, there is a page and a group for that. Um, we're on Instagram. I don't really use it much. If you're good with Instagram and you want to join the team and run our Instagram, hell yeah, hit us up. Same thing for Twitter, really. I have not been on Twitter at all since Elon Musk took over. I don't know that I want to. <laughs> uh, and TikTok, well, I mean, I'm not... I don't want to say that I'm too old for TikTok, but maybe I'm too old for TikTok. Hey, I take offense to that. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm older old. than you. I'm older than you. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Okay, maybe I'm just too stubborn for TikTok. Is that better? Uh, if you ever need somebody to run that one, I got that. All right. I mean, honestly, yeah. I'll have to dig out the login information, <laughs> but uh, we do have one and I would like to see it active again. Um, this thing says patron exclusive discord, um, probably first of the year, we're going to be opening up the discord to everybody. Um, well, to be honest, we don't have that many patrons anyway. It'll be a lot more effective, I think, than our current Facebook group for having meaningful discussions. It'll be a lot more organized than a Facebook group. Um, so we will start kind of soft launching, sending that link out to people, trying to build it up. And then, you know, grand opening sometime early next year. Speaking of early next year, the Hassan Shakur education class will be starting over. Yes, I'm aware that we did not finish it last time. It will be starting over. Uh, I believe the 8th of January, 7 p.m., you, uh, you know, um, Eastern time, 7 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday. Um, and I mean, we talk a lot about education on this show, but like, you know, actually come into the class and engage with the material, uh, ask questions, for the love of God, ask questions. That's how we all grow. Um, of course, we will be airing those as well and then following that there will be a more advanced class that we are not going to be airing on for we are many if you would like to to get involved with that um well i'll i'll give instructions when it's closer because i don't even know where to direct you <laughs> at, the, at this point for that um anyway if you would like to if you like what we're doing and you want to support us you can go to patreon.com for we are many or send uh money on venmo to at for we are many or 
We have on our website, on the right-hand side, on any page on our site, a donate link. Um, and I think that covers all our social media bases. So uh, yeah, without further ado, um, James is already in the comments saying, I know it's almost time with a guitar emoji. So James knows what time it is. <laughs> um, do either of you have anything to, to say before I click the music or are we good to go? Uh, I'm announcing my candidacy on January 1st. All right. What are you going to what are you going to run for this time? Well, I'm running for Congress. It's that's I haven't ran yet. So. Oh, yeah. Right. 2024 that Pennsylvania's 16th district. You forgot. I know it's OK. It's 2022, 2024. What's the fucking difference? <laughs> there is no difference. I, <laughs> as long as I make some noise, that's all that matters. So. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I think at this point, none of us uh, that are that are having this conversation are um, trying to say that, you know, we're actually going to be able to change the system from the inside. I think the point is actually to prove that that's not possible. But that being said, if by some off chance you do fucking win, um, you know, you would actually represent the people. And that is something that cannot be said for the Democrats or the Republicans. They they wouldn't know what to do with me. And be a good example of what a uh, good leader is supposed to be. You know, that's all you can do. That's what Lenin said. Yep. Yeah. Work for the people. That's all I want. Amen to that. Um, Natalie pointed out Twitch. I don't know how I did not point that out. It's on here, but I didn't mention it. Um, at for we are many podcasts we do uh, stream to twitch the downside is there's some ads the plus side it's not controlled by mark zuckerberg <laughs> um yeah so i mean if if you like what we're doing um you know wednesday night eight o'clock eastern we are on twitch twitter facebook uh and youtube how did i <laughs> how did i almost forget youtube <laughs> Uh, what the shit? Anyway, um, I am looking for a specific video link to send Natalie in the comments because I may or may not have a pirated version of the Rainbow Coalition documentary uploaded to our YouTube for just exactly this reason. Um, it is on PBS and stuff now, but you have to pay for the streaming service just like fucking everybody else. Um, fuck that. There's the link, Natalie. If anybody else wants the link to the, uh, the original Rainbow Coalition documentary, I have the link. Um, it is uploaded to our YouTube, um, but it is unlisted because I didn't want to get the copyright strike um okay now i'm gonna shut the hell up and play the music how about that all right rob's okay. like thank god finally well no you just you gotta stop me from talking that's the only way so power <laughs> <laughs> oh god
Unfortunately, he's unemployed.